0: You have accessed Entry 493.2CH0913, Certificate Number 2504, Fort Knox.
1: But of course, his government's given you a bomb. I prefer to call it an atomic device. It's small, but particularly dirty. Cobalt and iodine? Precisely. Well, if you explode it in Fort Knox, the... uh... Entire gold supply of United States will be radioactive for fifty-seven years, fifty-eight to be exact. I apologize, Goldfinger. It's an inspired deal. Yeah, just the way you said it. It makes me excited. Yeah, are you a are you a uh, numismatist or a numismatist? Uh, a coin collector is yeah. that right? Yeah. Uh, I am not. I dis.
0: I'm what's well, the opposite of that? I'm a <laughs> numismophobe. I don't uh, like having coins. Really? As soon as I get a coin in my pocket, I'm, I'm unhappy. They jingle. Yeah. That your pants kind
1: of hang weird. They do jingle. Your pants do hang weird, but I don't know if that's why. <laughs> you don't think it's coin related? <laughs> um,
0: even when you were a kid, you didn't like coins? Oh, no, I really. I actually did like coins as a kid, uh, but I didn't have anything cool or rare. I feel like I missed the chance to have. What quarters with silver in them? Did or? you?
1: I mean, did you ever search through your pocket change and look for? Um, I mean, do you know the dates of the coins that where silver was no longer in the coin?
0: I don't. I do remember having a few pennies that had the previous design. What? What? Was, what do they have? Like right. the, the little, little shield? Yeah, the wheat thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, are you? A, are you a coin
1: guy? I always was. Um, I. Just was interested in them. I think at first because, because I was I was a kid that uh, that wanted his money to look like the most it could look like. Uh, it was you know money to me. It was a very Scrooge McDuck based uh, relationship to money. If you if you gave you me to swim around in it, yeah. If you gave me ten dollars, I would have preferred ten one dollar bills. Would, to
0: would you prefer a thousand pennies?
1: Well, pennies no, because you recognize I think uh, that pennies are cheap. They're a different color. they're, they're brown. Yeah, they're like the pennies don't seem like money quite as much. And obviously bills are are preferable. but I, I often would get my money in ones. I remember the first time I was able to go to a bank and get a, an actual banded stack of ones. I really liked my money that way. And this was, you know back at a time when I had a hundred and twelve dollars in my my total wealth, and they
0: would put a little band on it the, for you. Oh yo,
1: well, you know you bought you'd get them in in bands of tw- packs of twenty or whatever, and I could have uh, I could have a little stack of. But I remember I think I had a hundred dollars that was banded, and it really felt like I was swimming in it.
0: What did you where did you keep your money? Did you have a hiding place?
1: Uh, well, for a long time I had a shoebox that was on the top of. Uh, the top of my closet. And, you know, my sister and I had chores. We had allowance. We, we did, you know, we do work around the neighborhood. Very, you get money various ways as a kid. You know, you get a little bit at your sure. birthday or whatnot. People give you a dollar in a birthday card. And uh, my sister would spend all her money as soon as she got it. And I was the, I was the very opposite. Just, just hoard, hoard, hoard money. We know about you even hoarding your fake grade school ferals money. I do. I do. And, and I, uh, and that, then when I realized that there was a difference between coins that had been made at one point versus coins that had been made at another point and that, the, um, that some U.S. currency made before 1967, I mean, it was majority silver. And you did know which years were – I did. And, um, you know, like uh, uh, Ben Franklin half dollars mercury dimes and quarters made before a certain time – were made of silver and then there was a you know a gradual sort of degradation of the silver content of coins that more copper and zinc was introduced.
0: I understand most of those are entirely out of the money supply now because people got
1: very good at sorting in bulk. They did, but when I was a kid in the 1970s you could find and this was before the the kind of uh, the big inflation in silver prices and gold prices that happened in the 80s. Which uh which is another omnibus that we're we're gonna we're gonna cover the the Hunt brothers and the the big silver boom in a We different, almost
0: we almost did it once but it turned into onions
1: yeah, in that's our hands. Right. I started I started to research the Hunt Brothers and I was like, This onion story is way more interesting.
0: This, this often happens in, but we'll, in
1: omnibus preparation. We'll get to the uh, we'll get to the Hunt Brothers in their time, but but you could still find a lot of silver Uh, real silver coins in pocket change. And I would, anytime I would get a handful of coins, the first thing I would do was check the dates, check the mint marks and separate them out. But, you know, coins that I thought were interesting and coins that I didn't.
0: Now, was there some kind of buyback program or would you have to semi-illegally sell these to someone who would melt it down for
1: silver? Well, so it's against the law to melt it down. Right. Um, But coins that were silver had had additional value on the numismatic market.
0: Oh, so it's just collectors.
1: So there's always, well, and I mean, people that are, so I have, I own a lot of coins that have no uh, collector value because they're too worn, right? That, you know, coins are graded um, ac- according to a scale of how pristine they are. And these coins have no very, you know, like absolutely no collector value in the sense that they're, they're you know, silver wears a lot harder and you'd end up the, – these coins, some of them have very little definition. Because you would sit and rub, rub them I so would, much. I <laughs> would. I mean, I would often lay on my bed. And this – I'm embarrassed to say it. My mom caught me doing this one time. I was laying on my bed and I was pouring my shoebox full of coins over my head and then putting them back in the box and then doing it again.
0: That could have been a lot more embarrassing. Yeah, when sure. It, when it comes to things your mom could describe, sure, you I could doing have been nude,
1: but but <laughs> I, but she was like she came into she heard the noise and came into the room and she was you know wh- and I was halfway through pouring this money over my head and she was like what is the matter with you uh, and she was right. Did you get a lesson about materialism? I could have. It could have been peanut butter, which would have <laughs> also been weird. No, I think my mom understood uh, understood that I was I was always interested in money and money money as a Money because of what it represented, right? And money because of its potential energy rather than my sister who is interested in it as, as kinetic energy.
0: If, if future links don't have legal tender currency in their air, if they don't have this kind of instrument, we should emphasize for them how important it is for children, who have yes. who have no way to get it? <laughs> you know, adults like money as well, but children fetishize it, and rightly so. It yeah. is, they have they have no earning power, and this is their only means to any kind of independence.
1: And they see it as power, and it, and it, and it is. I, I just had this flash.
0: I haven't thought about this in decades. My hidey hole for my allowance was. Uh, my parents had bought this Asian medicine chest that had a, a million little drawers. Mm-hmm. I think you put your ginseng in one, and you sure. put your ginger in, you know. Have you, have you seen these?
1: Oh, of course. So they have your Chinese characters apothe- on the Apothecary boxes. Yeah.
0: But this particular one had two drawers at the bottom that were hidden behind sliding right. panels. Right. Secret so, drawers. Secret drawers. And so, did you
1: have to do a little thing? with? Did you have to open another drawer halfway in order to be able to open the secret drawers? If doors? only. Yeah. No. It was a very limited bat cave
0: scenario. You just had to slide out the panel. And me, there were two of these, and me and my brother each... Got one, and my sister was is probably still angry to yeah, this sure. day. She's keeping her money in her that she mattress. didn't get a secret drawer. Wow, I, haven't, I wonder if that's still in that drawer in my parents' house. Wait a minute, let's all go look for the <laughs> hidden treasure. This omnibus is canceled. <laughs>
1: uh, my grandmother reportedly kept her money under the corners of her uh, Oriental carpets in her in, uh, that were spread around her house. So when she died. Uh, my family went in and was rolling up the carpets and there was stacks of money under all the corners.
0: I mean, the problem with this kind of old person scheme is that often if they don't tell anyone their scheme, the money gets thrown away. That's right. I think Mindy's grandma had kept a ton of money just in pages of books. Yeah. And a lot of those books probably just went to the Goodwill.
1: There are, I think right now, um, there's a collection in the US Treasury somewhere of you know, thousands of safe deposit boxes when banks would fail- They would surrender their safe deposit boxes to the to the treasury as part of their assets, and people and you know the treasury made it available for people to claim, but they just you know never did, or their you know uh, people would find when their grandfather died the key to some safe deposit box and it wouldn't be labeled.
0: Yeah, nobody knew. Like one person knew there was a few thousand
1: dollars. So who knows what? Who knows what precious? This uh, is my new screwball idea (laughs) for
0: canceling the deficit. Oh, is we just nationalize all the security and safety deposit boxes? In fact, if you haven't looked in your safety deposit box for.
1: Whoa. Three years. Ouch. This is some Bernie Sanders law. I'm just going to nationalize all the safety. (laughs) Like,
0: if you haven't looked for three years, it now belongs to Uncle Sam.
1: I definitely feel like nationalized safety deposit boxes from 26 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. But like three years, I I mean, that's the point of a safe deposit box. You don't go look at it. I just
0: want to incentivize people uh, going into the bank. Oh, It's an exciting Jason Bourne-like moment. Go to the bank. When (laughs) when you ask for your safety deposit box. And and
1: And I want people to have that more. And you have some uh, some, like laser (laughs) tattoos. <laughs> that has your account number that's exactly what I want well you know money uh, and, and I think a lot of uh, our uh, a lot of our contemporaries know this but maybe future links don't money used to be tied to actual uh you know things that had that that human inherent beings perceived to have inherent value right gold has no more real value other than scarcity, yeah, scarcity. of anything else. And, and if if you make money or Bitcoin scarce, it has think, just as much Do you think the
0: value. beauty of gold is inherent? Or yeah. will future species find uh, basalt the most beautiful... Uh, element and they'll they'll be trying to strain out the gold so they can get to whatever they think looks better.
1: Gold is rare. Gold is hard to get. Gold is beautiful. It's soft and a, it's a workable it's metal. Workable, so, so it, it's useful for. It's very useful and it has a lot of industrial uses, but also it's very decorative as an adornment. And also, I just think we all we
0: all um, not a lot of things are yellow. Lots of lots of gray. In the the ground,
1: lots of black and lots of brown. Sunlight is yellow, uh, according to the crayon theory.
0: Oh, yeah. We all know (laughs) the crayon theory of optics. The crayon theory. Here's Uh, here's the craziest thing about the crayon theory to mm -hmm. me. This is very much a side note. Go ahead. If you've ever noticed in Crayola crayons, yellow-orange is more orange than yellow, whereas orange-yellow is more yellow than orange. The dominant color goes second after the hyphen, Whoa. which strikes me as madness. The dominant color goes second. You'd think an orange yellow would be orange with a bit of yellow, but the implication is that it's a slightly orange-ish yellow. The second thing
1: dominates. So it's like West by Northwest. It's not, it's North by West North. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or West by North, West by North North. At least those directions are exactly (laughs)
0: between North by Northwest. Right. It would be like as if saying Northwest were a little more Westy. Sure. That's the West by Northwest, whereas West North is a little more Northy.
1: West North. He was one of the great character actors uh, on on Sex in the City. But, um... At a certain point, of course, uh, the, you don't want to carry gold around in your pockets because it jingles and it makes your jeans wear weird. As I've said. Right. And so, Inconvenient. So it was it, a long time ago. People recognized that if you made money uh, look like paper, if you made money out of paper, rather, um, you could keep your gold somewhere else and the paper would be representative of gold. The paper's a promise. The paper, the paper says, promise.
0: I have gold. And it has to do it in some way that you can't just go home and make a hundred of them that say, I have a, I
1: have gold. Right. And banks would say, we have gold. And here is a piece of paper that, uh, that entitles you to ownership of this gold that we're going to keep for you.
0: Do you still say this when you buy a latte or whatever? I do. Do you slap down that. a $10 bill and say,
1: <laughs> I have gold? Well, I, I do not because uh, a dollar bill no longer represents gold held anywhere um and Ooh. we'll we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute but um for a long time and this hasn't always been true i mean precious metals were used for as money in their own sake and then uh, for a long time they um uh, they were backed by gold and silver and precious metals um but but opinions have varied about uh, opinions among economists and we know how opinions among economists are if you put a, if you put ten thousand opinions by economists in one hand, and you go poo poo in the other,
0: <laughs> this is how you know economics is for sure a real science because they cannot even agree on the most basic elements of their own field.
1: <laughs> but uh, but for a long time, uh, gold and silver were instruments or were, were metal that that on a one to one basis backed um, paper money. So fifty dollars a fifty dollar bill was worth fifty dollars worth of gold, and that would give
0: you some kind of certainty that, yeah that even if you know even if something instability happened to the paper, we don't have to worry because there's still a room full of gold somewhere
1: right but the the problem with that of course, is that um that a government with a central bank that is full of gold has a finite amount of gold, a limited Amount uh, limited by the amount of gold they have. Wouldn't some economists say that's a feature, not a bug? Well, it is until people want that gold back, and the the and also uh, it is a problem in that governments can't um, create money, right? That and so what what the limitation on the amount of available money does is it creates um, a scarcity of money, which. When economies are growing, um, that limitation on money creates deflation, um, which is um, the opposite of inflation. Right? The well, money's worth too much. Money's worth too much, and in particular, in instances like uh, instances where there's an economic panic, and people say, "Okay, I no longer totally believe in this paper money. I would like my gold, please." Um, and there's any kind of of run on a bank that it actually involves um taking gold out or using gold as an instrument in foreign policy or you know repaying your debts with gold using gold to buy uh, goods and services or or you know exchange between governments that's real gold that no longer is available to back the cash that is in um, circulation. Think of the inefficiencies of postage and delivery alone. Right. <laughs> I want my gold back. Well,
0: sir, your gold is very heavy.
1: It's very. It's, it's going
0: to take six weeks on the Wells Fargo wagon, <laughs> and you're going to owe us like uh, an additional uh, 12 s dollars in postage. That's right. That's a lot of money. But so so today we think that we think of money no longer as being backed by precious metals, but just it's backed by the idea that government governments are so important that some popular shared hallucination about them will guarantee their continued survival. Is that
1: right? Right. I mean, uh, governments can produce more money when they need it, but there's a, there's an acknowledgement at least that you, that you will, uh, if you have one of the major currencies that you have to reveal how much money you're printing, you can't just have a secret printing press somewhere that's pouring money into circulation. So, I mean, I think if you are in a developing nation that – or a nation that's experiencing wide fled, or wide, widespread inflation, you are printing money hand over fist. But that, uh, that money is not then considered trustworthy on the international market. And for many, 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 many years, uh, the, the currency that a lot of economies were uh, pegged to their, their own money to was the, the U.S. dollar. And that was because there was some considerable sense that uh, that the American economy was uh, and the and the American dollar were instruments of trade that were going to um, remain robust.
0: Do you remember the news stories? In, uh it's around two thousand eight. Uh, the hyperinflation in Zimbabwe. It's, Zimbabwe had a less reliable dollar, considerably less, to the extent that in November two thousand eight. Uh, inflation hit a rate of 79.6 billion percent. (laughs) I mean, we shouldn't laugh because if you're in Zimbabwe... That's pretty bad. It makes it very hard to take your wheelbarrow full of billion dollars Zimbabwean bills to the store in order to buy one can of corn.
1: Sure, it makes Weimar Germany look like, uh, or Weimar Germany look, uh, look like the model of stability.
0: That was their goal. I think they wanted to make Weimar. That was Mugabe said. I want Weimar Germany to look better.
1: Well, often, I mean, when I was in Bulgaria in the late nineties, there was a um, there was a kind of transition happening where the the Bulgarian leva um, they were printing new versions of it where they just took a bunch of zeros off of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> ten thousand leva became one leva. And those, Did somebody
0: with a sharpie actually physically changed the bill? No, the new bills were beautiful,
1: oh. but it was a it was a way of just saying like, okay, let's and you know, and at the same time in Turkey, I mean, you would go to the ATM and take out hundred thousand um lira bills, and you know, you feel like you're really basically. I would go back to my hotel and just pour them over my head.
0: See, this is perfect. <laughs> For you, at one point, apparently, Zimbabwe printed a $21 trillion bill. A $21 trillion bill. I think, coincidentally, they had $21 trillion of debt to the IMF. <laughs> and look, they just found this sitting around. Oops. I think in general – but in general practice, I think there was a uh, at least plans for a $50 and $100 trillion bill.
1: Wow.
0: I just want to move to Zimbabwe and become a trillionaire.
1: Let me tell you about Pete, who loved hockey and always wanted to play in the NHL. Pete played since he was three and begged his mom to let him stay on the ice. Why, some nights, he even slept in his hockey skates. Pete practiced and practiced until one day, when he was 47, Pete realized he just wasn't that good. So he threw his skates in the trash. But then he heard how Geico, proud partner of the NHL, could save him money on car insurance. So he switched and saved a bunch. So it all worked out. Well, a lot of this um, in the United States, at least, came to a head during the Great Depression. Uh, uh, During during World War I, there was a lot of exchange of money on an international scale. A lot of gold uh, changed hands. Uh, Most of the the um, the major nations had a gold, had their money pegged to gold. but gold was not freely traded as a commodity during this time. Um, the price was was somewhat fixed. and so the fact that there was a limited amount of gold and currencies were pegged to it, they could sort of trade against each other, but gold had a... Had a fairly constant price of about $20 an ounce. Was this kind of an artificial price? It was It was an attempt on the part of economists in general to keep uh, it from – I mean, you couldn't – when gold was used as coinage, you couldn't have a situation where gold also – Had a speculative value. That's true, right? A twenty-dollar gold piece couldn't also be worth fifty dollars worth of gold, or everyone will just melt down their twenty-dollar gold piece, right? So there was a the the idea of it having fixed value was sort of intrinsic to it being a unit of exchange. Um, But during the Great Depression, there was, uh, you know, the 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 value of money. There was this deflation where money became uh, much scarcer, and there was a desire to kind of hoard it um, because, and and in particular, hold, hoard gold as a as a if you had money, right? Mm-hmm. If you were rich, to, as a bulwark against the collapse of the economic system, it was a it was a fraught time. And by the time uh, FDR was elected president in nineteen. 19- Thirty-two. By the time he took office in nineteen thirty-three, um, there was a kind of—I mean, there had been several runs on the banks. Banks were people wanted their—they wanted their gold now. They're, they had—they no longer had faith in the banking system.
0: Your, your money's not in here. It, it's out there. It's—it's it's in your house, uh, Mrs. Smith, and it's in your house, Bob. That's what happens when you try to get your money out of the bank. That's nice. I like that. You cancel George Bailey's honeymoon.
1: But you know, there were banks that would uh, that would you know. Banks love to describe um, the situation when they uh, close and bolt their doors. Uh, they they call it a bank holiday. The bank <laughs> takes a holiday. <laughs> I
0: mean, if I was an employee, I would call it that too.
1: Sweet, I'm going home early. <laughs> there are you know ten thousand people in the street with with uh, with torches and pitchforks. But you know, you're taking a holiday. And there were uh, a lot of banks in the country were taking these forced holidays because they were uh,
0: there. It's like it's like Chick Fil A not having the sandwiches. like exactly, You gotta, no, it. Was Popeyes? Uh, Popeyes. Right? Popeyes doesn't have the sandwiches. They got to close their doors.
1: You know, I was driving down. I was driving in White Center, and I saw a Popeyes. And I don't see. I don't normally run into a Popeyes. Although there's that Popeyes in the Atlanta airport. Yes. That I see all the time, but I never quite have the guts to go over to it.
0: They are creeping north into Seattle, gradually. The Popeye's line used to end in Renton, but...
1: But there's a Popeye's in White Center, and I, I actually had heard the hullabaloo about these chicken sandwiches, and I went and got in the drive through line, and when I came up to the speaker, there was a handwritten sign taped to it that said, we don't have any chicken sandwiches, so don't ask.
0: Think about that during the Depression. You go to the bank, you just want to check your safety deposit box like a good American, and there's a, there's a note taped to the teller window that says... Yeah. Just one thing you got to know, we don't have any money.
1: <laughs> Except
0: for that, everything's good.
1: Well, so Roosevelt took office in March of 1933 because that's how they that was the style of the time. Uh, he was the last president to do so,
0: right? It was moved to January sometime when he was president? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, March was still the, you know, because they needed, back then, they needed time for the Pony Express to take all the documents around, get everybody to sign off on
0: it. You needed to tell the winner. Like often, it would take weeks to find out you won the election. You
1: won, sir.
0: Good news, Zachary Taylor. Somebody shows up. Ed McMahon
1: shows up with a giant check. But Roosevelt, um, one of the first things he did when he uh, when he took office was he declared a nationwide bank holiday of seven days and said, "All banks are closed. Um, we need to we need we need to talk amongst ourselves. We need to get this straightened out." <laughs> it's like you're going to recess early because somebody threw up. And during that bank holiday, um, he issued what was called Executive Order 6102, which made it illegal for private citizens to own gold. Whoa. You could not have
0: gold. And you're telling me about Bernie Sanders-style overreach. Yes. Did people freak out?
1: Well, it was illegal to freak out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as is uh, true in all socialist economies uh, but it was it was now mandatory that you surrender your gold to the US government was it, but wasn't this
0: criticized by big men with watch chains and many chins
1: well it it was criticized by i mean there wasn't uh, there were certainly conspiracy theories of all kinds um but it was sort of universally understood, and this is nineteen thirty-three, the economy is absolutely collapsing. Everyone is wringing their hands and clutching at their watch change because the um the threat and the I think the global threat is that economics, as we know, would be turned up upside down. It's the
0: end of civilization. So people are happy about any plan. It's a lifeline.
1: This was a plan, and it was uh it was to combat well, it was it was it was to combat this um, this problem, which was that gold. I mean, as gold drained out of the national coffers into mattresses, it made it even it made it more and more difficult to have money uh, that was available to to even repair the damage of the economic collapse. Like transactionally, like business could not be done. Right. So Roosevelt um, implemented this new policy, which was that you needed to surrender your gold and the government would buy it at $20 an ounce. The, the, um, the generally agreed upon price, but all the major places where gold was stockpiled, all the people that had 5,000 ounces stored in under their bed, that all became illegal. And it was, um, and all the scrap gold, all your, all your bad ingots. Yeah. All your, all your granddad's, uh, fillings, uh, it was all included. I guess you could coin collectors could keep coins that were, uh, that had intrinsic value. I love
0: that the powerful coin collectors
1: lobby <laughs> has, has put a loophole in the law. And you could keep, you know, I think up to five ounces of incidental gold, which is counts jewelry, right? Yeah. Um, FDR is not coming for your engagement he, he ring, he doesn't want your engagement ring. But, but, uh, beyond that, any sort of amount of gold that you had as a financial, um, safety. Mm-hmm. And there were several people that were prosecuted for keeping um for keeping large quantities of gold, but you know, 5,000 ounces or something in there. Patriots, I call them. That's right. Well, and this law actually was passed under the the tenets of the um Aid to Foreign Governments Act. During nineteen in nineteen seventeen, there was an act passed called the Trading with the Enemy Act.
0: The TWTEA. Yes,
1: and this uh, this was all kind of under the under the less defined parts of the Trading with the Enemy Act, which was you know you're not allowed to hoard uh, cash because it makes you some kind of suspicious possible agent. That's right, possible agent. And then uh, and so so I think a lot of most of the monetary crowd, the monetary cast, uh, supported this act on Roosevelt's part, even though now it seems like it would be a conservative bugbear. At the time, that combined with the bank holiday, sort of stopped the run on gold and um, and you know put a patch on this problem. At, and then in a very canny move, some might say, Roosevelt, by fiat, having bought everyone's gold at $20 an ounce, by fiat, he said gold is now worth $35 an ounce. Did he have economists
0: telling him that this would not make trouble, that that was closer to a, re- to
1: a, real, a fair market value? Well, what it did was... Took the gold that the U.S. government had bought at twenty dollars an ounce and made it worth thirty-five dollars an ounce. And what that is is effectively it is a devaluation of the dollar. Um, yes, which is a which is a, a a thing that governments do in times of crisis. Um, they make their currency worth less, and then it has, you know, it uh, there's more of it available. Um, so, so this was a. This was a little bit of a switcheroo, but it worked. It created an enormous, um, it basically out of thin air created an enormous amount of money for the U.S. government to employ.
0: And inflation is not going to be a problem because the problem up till then has been scarcity,
1: right? And and gold is still not a tradable commodity, right? It's possible that twenty dollars per
0: ounce was crazy, right? That people would have been willing to pay much more. And this is a more realistic valuation.
1: Well, they much, they, they, I mean, anytime you put a thing that's like induced demand, anytime you put a (laughs) thing out on a commodities market, you know, it's going to, it's going to fluctuate and maybe was worth quite a bit more than $20 an ounce, even for industrial purposes, Hmm. but $35 an ounce, it was still, um, it was still, dictated that that was the price and and U.S. money was still redeemable. Uh, it, wasn't re- it wasn't redeemable in the sense of it, uh, you couldn't go to the bank and get gold, gold was illegal, but the money still was backed by the gold. And during this same period, uh, European economies were, I mean, in the mid-1930s, European economies were also under tremendous stress, but then also the rise of Nazism and the, um, the general instability in Europe meant that a lot of European governments no longer felt safe with their own gold deposits, their own gold stockpiles. And so there was a lot of movement of gold globally to the United States like hold on to this for us. Hold on to this for us. In so case something happens. For instance, the 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 Federal Reserve Bank in New York City, which even still holds tremendous stockpile of gold. Most of that gold is. Uh, most of that gold belongs to f- other governments, and the Federal Reserve actually holds their gold and doesn't charge them a fee. It's like we'll hold your gold as like a kind of a f- bank favor uh they charge money to move it around it's like
0: the toaster you get to open an account
1: <laughs> yeah i mean if you if you ask them to take a hundred bars and and uh send it back or move it over here they'll the feds will charge you like a shipping and handling fee <laughs> to get it to shanghai but but uh, it's a it's a kind of it's just a um a little bit of professional courtesy between giant economies that you can keep your gold in the USA. It's it's like a safety
0: deposit box. I don't want to be macabre here, but is uh, is New York City really the safest place you want to keep your money Like of any place on earth that could be the center of some kind of terrorist attack? I mean, I'd rather put my money in Aberdeen, South Dakota.
1: Well, you make a good point. And by, by the late 30s, that point was being taken by the people in power who recognized that although, although we had this – we had now a tremendous stockpile of gold. It was being kept in buildings in New York, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. And the sense at the time was that these were vulnerable to foreign invasion. They were – I mean – we weren't thinking uh, in terms of natural disaster, but this was a time of political instability globally. Sure. And keeping our-
0: That's the part of America closest to the Nazis.
1: Well, and San Francisco being closest to the Japanese. Right. So the idea, it still hadn't been quite worked out uh, by policymakers how difficult it would be to invade the United States. It seemed like, well, if you can invade Czechoslovakia, um, how much harder is it to mount a massive invasion of the USA? So- they maybe they'd seen Red Dawn. They they, they think it's super easy. <laughs> Red Dawn One or Red Dawn Two? <laughs> so uh
0: And I'm looking I'm looking right now. I, I did not know where the Federal Reserve Bank is, but it's ten minutes from the 911 attacks. Yeah. The worst terrorist attack on US soil. Well,
1: and in fact, during 9-11, there was a lot of bullion stored in the World Trade Center. Oh, interesting. Um, and after the after the collapse of the World Trade Center, as they were digging it out. There was you know, the, I guess Deutsche Bank had a lot of,
0: of gold. There were international
1: observers on hand trying and, to make sure they got the the right amount of gold yeah, back. Yeah, they needed to dig all that out. And you know, as the fire department were throwing blue jeans into their uh, into their fire trucks. Sorry. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it the position of this program
0: that the heroic 911 firefighters were stealing blue jeans?
1: Have you ne- have you ever uh, never seen those photos? Uh, no, I haven't. The- uh, after the buildings collapsed, they found a fire truck that was uh, that had been crushed under the building. And when they when they when it was revealed, it was full of looted blue jeans. Oh, wow! Now I'm crushed that the firemen, I guess, were as they were you know evacuating people, they were also sort of evacuating the. The gap. Oh, man. Pretty bad. But um, but you know, that's neither confirmed nor denied by by external sources. That might have all just been a, a hologram. Yeah. As we know a lot of the 9 11 attacks were Maybe you dreamed holograms. Of um so it was authorized, it was understood at the time that we needed to protect our gold. And so they they cast about looking for a place to um, to build a secure facility. They picked Fort Knox in the great state of Kentucky,
0: which was already some kind of army
1: installation. Fort Knox had been an army base for a long time. It was a fairly contested spot uh, during the Civil War. It was the the confluence of the Salt River and the Ohio River, I think. Hmm. Uh, But it was a it was a place where a lot of battles. Civil. It was you know it changed hands during the Civil War. It had been an army base. For named, quite for, a while. named
0: for Henry Knox, the first US Secretary of War.
1: Well, it wasn't during this period. It was <gasps> It's uh, a reverse naming? It was, uh, it was a, a it was a retroactive naming. A retro Well, it was named I guess it was it was named Fort Knox right about this time. Um, 1932. So right before during the Hoover administration, it, it uh, the name had changed. What Fort, a, what had it been? Uh it was Fort Duffield during the Civil War. Um, Duffield for all our troops out in Duffield. Yo yo yo! It was named for Duffield. Uh, I don't know who Duffield is. Yeah, but. Duffield was like a uh, sort of a colonel or, uh, or no. I'm sorry. It was named for a reverend who was the father of a colonel. It used to be a much lower standard uh, for uh, for. Uh, uh, who who could get a military base name? It was
0: just them? some guy in the quartermaster's office yeah.
1: who had to file a paperwork or who said, "Oh, we'll put it over here by the river." It's sort of like the little creek that's on my property. I'm really considering trying to name it some, you know, name it Creek Morgan after myself or you, after my great grandmother. You
0: absolutely should do that.
1: Well, I, I think the city actually is there a name? I think they have a name for it. They just don't enforce it. Is so. there any reason it should not be Omnibus Creek? If I put a sign up that said that Omnibus <laughs> Creek, I don't know who's going to tear it down. Most of my most of my neighbors are all ninety five. You know, <laughs> when the new neighbors move in, when the, the young people come, well, ninety five year olds are very change resistant. They are.
0: You are going to find out what they called the
1: creek when they were little. Yeah, and they, it might have been a crick. That's mud crick. No, the guy across the street called it a crick two Roof. days ago. Wow. When he was telling me that uh, that old Chicago, uh, the, the Chicago Ed was uh, was crazier than a March hare. Down. <laughs> this is a big news about Chicago Ed coming out on the show. Um, so Fort Knox was chosen and, Oh, it had been, it had been called camp Knox, I guess, during the, during the, uh, the period, uh, during, uh, during world like war one. Yeah. And then it became, it was the, um, it was the place that the army started to consolidate its mechanized armor units as tanks became a bigger part of army war making technology, uh, Camp Knox and then Fort Knox became the headquarters of U.S. Armor, and it was where you know Patton got his made his bones, and and that was part of the uh, part of the appeal of locating uh, our gold reserves there because we were surrounded by tanks, yeah, and we were still trying to protect it. And imagined that the that the threat, the real threat to it, was that someone would invade the United States and getting to. Fort Knox, Kentucky, um, would be would be quite a job. You'd have to get over those Appalachians. Also, no cat burglars
0: there. Manhattan's got to be crawling with gentlemen, well, gentlemen jewel thieves. But there are gold fingers everywhere, <laughs> as we know. <laughs> gold fingers tentacles extend even into the bluegrass of Kentucky.
1: But they um, they set about building this um, this very secure facility, uh, a building made out of North Carolina granite. That um, with a with a vault constructed by the Mosler Company, uh, sitting out in the middle of a basically a barbed wire protected minefield, yeah, that was going to be the location this is some of Scrooge our McDuck gold. Stuff. It really got to keep the Beagle Boys out. In 1937, uh, they the, over a five month long period, they moved this gold in 39 separate trains, 215 different train cars from Philadelphia to Fort Knox um, and a big part of this is because gold is heavy I don't know if you know this that's, about that's it. the main problem I'm seeing here so a train car full of gold would not be a train car stacked to the roof with gold that would be not movable I mean it's you know you to fill up a train car with gold you're talking about kind of two pallets of gold and then hobos. And then you're surrounded by hobos. And as you know, foreign governments cannot penetrate a scrim of hobos. Most of the hobos are Pinkertons.
0: I know that's one, uh, one issue with uh, Like, I know Fort Knox on the inside looks nothing like it does in Goldfinger. Right. And that's the problem. There's no big stacks of gold because, you know, gold's just too heavy and unwieldy to have a big room stacked with it. You know, you, you've got a series of rooms with a small amount of gold each because that's the amount you can lift.
1: Well, in fact, the entire... Space in Fort Knox dedicated to storing gold is only about four thousand square feet. Disappointing. Four thousand. Now, how, how the size of
0: a suburban home? How big is your house? Exactly. That's that's a McMansion-sized Fort Knox. I mean,
1: not even a big McMansion. right? No. Four thousand square feet is 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 yeah a suburban house. Um. So you can put an awful lot of gold in a pretty small area. Uh. That's but good th- to know. If I ever have to put all the gold in Fort Knox in my house. I can probably, probably do it. Probably get pretty close to it, although it would collapse your floor and also sink into the earth. Like the reason the Federal Reserve Bank is used for, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in New York is used to store that much gold is that the foundation of that building is built on- It's Manhattan. It's, uh, it's, it's built on bedrock. Unmovable bedrock. And so uh, it's really the it's really one of the only buildings in the world that has a foundation strong enough to hold that much
0: gold. So is, K- is Kentucky gradually sinking into the-
1: Well, the the- Fort Earth's Knox at, it has uh, has incredibly thick concrete and rebar construction within this sort of granite super architecture. Um, but but this was, as I say, during a period and and at right before World War II, countries were bringing their gold to the United States, but also the U.S. through its whole um, through its whole project of uh making gold illegal and collecting gold um, our reserves had grown by um by a significant margin Now, all the gold that we collected from regular people and the gold that we were continuing to mine and the gold that we were that used to be meant for consumers that had been scrapped really only constituted you know a fairly small amount of the of the gold in the world we only we only gained 6 million ounces by by um by this buyback program and we had about 25 million ounces through other sources but between the period uh of 1933 and 1941 our gold reserves went as follows in 1933 we had about 194 million ounces of gold in the United States when, when Roosevelt passed this, this order. Mm-hmm. Um, by 1940, that had become – well, by 1937, after this initial you know buyback period – Five years after that. We had uh, almost twice as much gold, 350 million ounces. But by 1940, because of this capital flight from Europe, we had 635 million ounces of gold – and we
0: we've discussed this on the I think maybe the gold hats entry that the amount of gold in the world is not an eye popping amount. You could fit all the gold that exists on Earth into a cube right. of sides twenty meters long.
1: Right, and and by by the beginning of World War II, we we um, had we possessed eighty percent of the world's gold reserves here in the United States. Wow in Kentucky
0: um, of all places by the ones that was moved.
1: Uh not all of it was in Kentucky. Oh, okay. There's still uh there was still a lot kept other places, but we had a tremendous um a, a tremendous what pile, I guess, of it. I think the technical term. Um and during the war Fort Knox was Fort Knox became became what it is today, kind of a um a euphemism for something for a, for a place that is incredibly safe, and so it's like Fort Knox in there. It's like Fort Knox if I, if, at Fort Knox.
0: If I was a soldier in there, every time I went on duty, I'd be like, "Whoa!" It's like Fort Knox it's really in here. Like Fort Knox. At the moment, I'm I'm limited to doing that in Grand
1: Central Station
0: in New York. It's like Fort
1: Knox in here? Yeah, I say It's like Fort Knox in here. Why is Grand Central Station, which is absolutely full of people and has doors on all sides, anything like Fort Knox?
0: No. When I'm in Grand Central Terminal and it's very busy, I turn to whoever I'm with and I say, wow, it's like Grand Central Station in here. Oh, I see. And they think it's hilarious.
1: You are such a dad.
0: It's Yeah. I actually did this with my daughter last week. And? And she was- Does she
1: know enough to roll her eyes at you? It was audible, even in a
0: noisy- (laughs) train terminal. You could hear the Scream.
1: eye rolling. At this point, the, the, um, the fear that we were vulnerable to being invaded or attacked from overseas meant that the, um, that the library of Congress and the sort of us archives also wanted a big Fort Knox built for themselves because for, they wanted just for documents and well, such for all of our great, you know, the, the patrimony of the United States and, and, The fact that we were also holding a lot of – like, for instance, we were given the crown of St. Stephen and the royal jewels of the kingdom of Hungary – Oh, because the Hungarians said, "Will you hold on to this for us?" You've seen what's going on with Germany (laughs) and and Russia. And Russia, it just seems like maybe you could hold (laughs) the crown of Saint Stephen for a while. It's kind of important to us. So we had the crown of Saint Stephen.
0: Uh, We did, among Uh, other things. We gave them a piece of paper that said, "I owe you one one crown of Saint Saint Stephen."
1: Stephen. Uh, But the the federal government would not authorize the construction of a giant archive somewhere in the mine and hills of Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um and so the uh so some attempt was made to to you know take some major part of Fort Knox for the you know the the use of Library of Congress and and the U.S. archives. Fort Knox, uh because it was controlled by the Treasury and and protected by the um protected by the Army At first, offered the archive something like five square feet of floor space. (laughs) Is that right? And then it was extended to like fifty square feet. You know, when people complained. And so during World War II, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, um, you know, the notes for Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, a copy of the Magna Carta. You know, all these documents that we had that were uh, that we felt needed to be preserved that were you know sacred our sacred documents. We're all encased in these hermetically sealed copper uh, frames, and very much like the end of Indiana Jones, wheeled out to Fort Knox and kept there. Uh, much to the consternation of Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that's right. Well, no, I mean uh, the real documents were kept in a strangely <laughs> subterranean cave underneath a gas station somewhere.
0: It's like Saddam Hussein. You got you got a bunch of fake constitutions out there. With slightly different amendments to confuse the eye and befuddle
1: the viewer yeah all this stuff was protected uh protected by what, what really is a impenetrable structure like the the door itself is 21 inches thick ooh it's like the Tron door it is it's got it, it's on a lock system that um it's locked every time you lock it it's locked for a hundred hours mandatory uh there' it's uh, inconvenient the mint uh, the, the, if you leave your hat in there or something. Well, the, pff, let me get to that. The mint employees, in order to enter it, two separate employees have to put in two separate combinations that only they know. At you know, at one removed from one another, kind of like the the nuclear codes. Right. There is an escape tunnel, oh. but it's only unlockable from inside, and you can only unlock it from inside if the big door is locked. This is an emergency situation. In case you lose your hat in there and you realize, oh, my hat, and you run back in, and then the door locks for hundred hours. Doctor Manhattan problem. You, uh, you, there is a little bit of an escape route. What if it's an odd job style hat? <laughs> <laughs> Still, I don't think it'll get through that twenty-one inch door. You know, the the Fort Knox. All uh, it doesn't need to be a secret location because it's so, um, it's so well guarded that the the, the sort of public. Knowledge of it maybe even works in its strengths. It's located at the intersection of Bullion Boulevard and Gold Vault (laughs) Road, so (laughs) they're not making a big attempt.
0: It's like it's like when a stadium gets renamed its road after the Hall
1: of Famer or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Bullion Boulevard, come on. Uh, so during this whole period, and then after the war, you know, Fort Knox has become kind of a place where we store stuff that. Seems both valuable and also uh, vulnerable, um, like me. Valuable and vulnerable. So during the fifties, uh, we saw. Uh, I think the U.S. government and we talked about this during the Cold That's War. Where we started episode, our musketeers. We stored a bunch of morphine and um, <laughs> wait what? yeah we, we took our like our whole reserve. We were so
0: worried about juvenile delinquency that we moved we moved all our needle drugs to uh, to
1: Fort Knox. It wasn't that we had we had uh, we had a sense that in the event of a catastrophe, we wouldn't have enough opium and morphine to treat the mm. the injured. And to treat the chronically in pain. So a recognition that morphine and opium were of vital national security interests meant that, uh, that we started to store an enormous stockpile of it. Um, what ended up being 68,000 pounds or enough opium and morphine to kill the pain for the entire country for a year. Uh, because poppies and and opiates are only and at that at that time even more so those are only grown in certain kind of unstable parts of the world right and if conflict and invasion and and war America cannot grow its own opium poppies no and if the, if, if the supply of those things were cut off it represented yeah it was a national security issue so we stockpiled these drugs
0: did they change the name of the roads to like,
1: Heroin highway and (laughs) painkiller place. There's already a heroin highway and it's (laughs) outside of Kandahar. Uh, And we continued to stockpile that stuff uh, into the 90s because, of course, once you have a bunch of morphine and opium, it's not like the government can then sell it when it no longer (laughs) needs it, right? There's no market. There's no open market for that stuff.
0: So, that, does it go bad like like Advil? Like
1: <laughs> well, they conver- They started converting it into uh, morphine sulfate, which is a more stable. Huh. You know, I think if it just sits around, right, it gets cheese mold on it, and you can't use it. Or oh. maybe it gets even hotter. I'm not shooting up with that. <laughs> maybe it becomes even better. Um, but the gold standard and the fact that our uh, that our money was tied to gold and to to quantities of gold, you know, that worked. Except that when the United States Possessed so much of the world's gold, it really started to limit other countries' ability. Well, make them a little antsy. It It sure gives us a lot of power
0: to essentially turn off the faucet.
1: It sure does, and it and it made the U.S. dollar the the um, the major sort of currency by by a fair margin. And so, even though it was one of the uglier currencies, it was not as beautiful as the gilda. Weird, weird monochrome green. Yeah, paper or even the uh even the Swiss franc very beautiful money uh so in the 1960s governments European governments first started to rebel against uh the u s sort of being the the currency that all other currencies were pegged to and uh, so in
0: those countries goldfinger is the hero well and uh, yeah James Bond right is the villain. and it was
1: really it was West Germany that first sort of peeled off and said the Deutschmark mark is no longer going to play this game. And it was very successful for them. The Deutsche Mark became now a, a more valuable, a more yeah. volatile currency, but one that, and so that started a little bit of a a trend that uh, countries were, were going off the gold standard and, and their, their, uh, their currencies became sort of tradable, basically commodities. In August of 1971, uh, Richard Nixon, no less than Richard Nixon, as part of a, a sort of sweeping reform of the economy, took the United States off of the gold standard. So late, right?
0: 71 we, was fairly late. We think of the gold standard – I think of the gold standard as kind of a, you know, William Jennings, Bryan era controversy. But it uh, it took Nixon to go to Kentucky, I
1: guess. It did. Uh, yeah. Oh, when Nixon went to Kentucky, right? And It, it couldn't have been a democratic president. <laughs> Uh, And this really was, uh, this did throw sort of uh, deficit hawks and conservatives and conspiracy theorists into a tizzy. Because, of course, if your money is no longer backed by anything other than the reputation of the US government and the general, you know, the sort of talk about establishing the price of gold by fiat. Now we're just saying this money is worth what it's worth. If there's
0: anybody I didn't trust the reputation of the U.S. government to, it's Richard M. Nixon.
1: What could go wrong? Uh, well, what could go wrong? Um, it, gold was still not a tradable commodity uh, until Gerald R. Ford in 1974 uh, made it. And this was this may seem crazy, but in it wasn't until 74 that you could legally own gold as a private citizen. And so that's why I chose that year to be born. So Ford said, sure, go ahead and own gold. And initially gold was still sort of at $35 an ounce, you know, it took a <laughs> while for it to, uh, to gain in price. What, uh, what is gold? What is the price of
0: gold today in our era? Just to give the future Benchmark the price of gold
1: today is fourteen hundred and seventy-five dollars an ounce. Well, that would be a little more, and a lot of that happened. A lot of that price inflation happened during the financial crisis in two thousand seven, eight, and nine. In two thousand four, you could buy an ounce of gold for about four hundred and fifty bucks, and it sort of crept up during the during the run up to the financial crisis. It was. Six hundred bucks in two thousand six. I mean, this drives me crazy, of course, because in two thousand six, I had six hundred dollars in in gold. I know, I just had six hundred dollars. Oh. I could have bought gold <laughs> uh, in, in the two thousand seven, and it was worth 18, 800 dollars. And then... Um, you could have bought a lot of things. The, I you, could have. I could have you, bought Bitcoin. Could have bought,
0: yeah, you could have <laughs> bought more. You could have bought Microsoft stock, or you could have bought Action Comics number one.
1: Maybe in 2007, Microsoft stock wouldn't have been oh,
0: 2007. that
1: big of an okay, investment. Okay, in
0: 2007, you could have bought Amazon stock.
1: Yeah, that's true. Or you could have bought... Look, Bitcoin is the one. The
0: first is. appearance of some Marvel Comics character that later showed up in a movie. Wouldn't
1: care about that. <laughs> But by 2011, gold had gone up to $1,900 an ounce, 1895. Is this the
0: natural, normal response to people in times of economic crisis, or is this just late night TV ads on Fox News scaring the boomers? Well, because people
1: think that gold has intrinsic value and that paper dollars don't. And If you recall, the the hyperventilating um, Fox News take on it was that the financial crisis, the, the the um, the collapse of all those banks because of the mortgage crisis uh, was going to result in a loss of faith in the American dollar and, and uh, the euro, and it was going to result in a worldwide economic collapse, which was exactly what was sort of threatening the Roosevelt administration in 1933, but – in 19 or in 2011 we didn't have the option of changing the price of gold quite like we did. The
0: government can't buy all your dollars back.
1: So all these what are called gold bugs are people that are that, that feel like as the as the, um, the economy collapses you can rely on gold as a uh, as a, a container of wealth. Even though if it's a real zombie apocalypse. Yeah, like no, you,
0: nobody's making jewelry or, uh, yeah, or, or cell phones or show up with
1: a little bar of gold and say, give me some rice. I mean, the people with the last little bit of rice don't care about your gold. You shave it off with a pocket knife? Um, at, at present, it's still, though, about $1,500 an ounce, which is extraordinary amount of money it to pay for gold. It didn't drop. Well, it dropped a little, but it's still twice the price it was uh, only ten years ago. Interesting.
0: I wonder. I wonder what the future of that is. If, if uh, there's a continued sense of instability that props that up, or if there's a generation that is holding on to the gold, and once they're gone, the price drops again. I wonder how much psychology plays a part.
1: Well, it's 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 interesting to consider uh, over the decades from our height uh, at. S- almost 650 million ounces of gold in Fort Knox. We're now, uh, a lot of that gold has gone to China. Um, well, we still keep a lot of foreign gold, hmm. but a lot of that gold has gone. Yes. To, um, to gone to graveyards, everyone. <laughs> um, the gold has gone out into the, into the world to fund, uh, American expansion and also right it has been collected <laughs> collected in other economies in other
0: another, another bo- more growing uh, promising sectors
1: so that uh, Fort Knox today only has about 147 million ounces of gold and if we do the math have we done the math that's you know that's even hundred, less gold than we had in 1933
0: 147 million ounces
1: 147 million ounces, and an
0: ounce of gold is worth what did you say? 1400 dollars?
1: 14.75. 14.75. It's about 210 billion dollars uh, worth of gold. Which is, or is that has the has the price of gold fluctuated since I did that last calculation? Do you even have a computer that can calculate that amazing uh, amount of money? uh, We need a Cray computer.
0: I don't have enough zeros. I don't have enough pixels to make those zeros.
1: 147 million times 1,475.
0: Yeah, 216 billion. That's a pretty good – that would be a pretty good haul for a heist movie.
1: Although that would be a really, really – Hard to fence. Oh, well, and and super hard to, like, get on a semi-truck and drive, (laughs) right? Every every one of these bars – each gold bar weighs 400 ounces. Uh, and these gold bars are only seven inches long and three and a half inches wide. So 400 ounces. 400 so it's like
0: ounces. A, it's, a, it's a pretty heavy barbell, whatever that is, 30, 30 pounds or something. Yeah, 30
1: pounds, right? A little, it's little like, under 25 pounds. It's like it would be harder than stealing a baby. Um, but, you know, about equivalent to. Quieter. Ingots
0: aren't going to cry when you take them out.
1: No, but they do jingle and they do really sag your pants. And that concludes Fort Knox,
0: entry 493.2CH0913, certificate number 2504 in the Omnibus. Now, futurelings, uh, speaking of currencies that have become devalued over time, John and I posted abundantly on the social media of our era. Please don't judge us. We were at John Roderick and at Ken Jennings, for those who were interested in following us in our era. Uh, Jointly, we were the Omnibus Project, Uh, I was on Twitter. John was on Twitter and Instagram and uh, on TikTok, doing some of his famous TikTok dances. People loved that. Uh, We were available to receive emails at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. For people who wanted to send us physical items, do you want to send John the, uh, the $600 worth of gold you bought? In uh, two thousand and seven, so he Please stops. Re- so he stops regretting
1: that. Please do. Just send me over the uh, the code to your Bitcoin wallet. That's it, all fake money anyway.
0: If you found a safety deposit key in your uh, late uncle or grandparents' things, send us the key. We, we've got time. We will go to uh, downtown banks and 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 try the key in multiple safety deposit boxes until we find the weird souvenirs of his first girlfriend
1: that he kept in there. Mm. I don't know. What, what, do you have a safety deposit box? I used to, um, where I kept all my weird coins and bullion and other stuff, and then eventually I... I you can tell the distant future. Where do you keep your
0: coins and bullion? And this oh, and stuff? I use it as doorstops. Right. Yeah. Famously so. Not, not coins. Though. Sad and
1: weird. Yeah, uh, coins in big bags that have dollar signs on them.
0: <laughs> well, that's just the wrong idea. People are immediately going to – you need to put a Z, a Z before the dollar sign. People will be like, well, that's a Zimbabwean dollar. It's a
1: Zimbabwean dollar. That's, it's not worth anything. These
0: trillion-dollar bills are worth nothing. John probably uses those to stoke his fireplace. <laughs> uh, you can send send your safety deposit uh, keys and, crucially, your Jack Chick tracts uh, to our postal address, which was P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. If you did not buy gold, if you just kept – cash on hand, and you would like to contribute that to this endeavor, uh, we gladly accept all pledges, which ensure that the Omnibus continues right until the exact second that the world ends. Uh, you can send those to patreon.com slash Project. Uh, please congregate with other uh, like-minded uh, iguana-squid hybrids, the iguanids, at f- the Futurelings. Facebook page, or alternatively, here's kind of a hipster alternative. If you mm-hmm. want to get ahead of the trend, you can go to the slash Futurelings subreddit on Reddit.com.
1: Get there, get there before it's overrun with noobs. Did I do all the stuff? Think so. Okay. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived, and that's why Ken and I are hoarding gold. Uh, we hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come because we don't like carrying gold around to buy basic necessities. And also, that seems like bad value for gold. I'm one of those people that would have a, a vest lined with gold and that would cause me to drown in the river as I tried to ford it. Ironically. Yeah. Nobody it? wants to die by irony. That's such a such a twilight zone.
0: That's where the word irony comes from. There's a guy trying to cross a river carrying a bunch of iron, hmm. and he drowned.
1: If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Do you travel
0: to recover from heartbreak, to trace your DNA, escape the internet on our podcast, A Way to Go. We've been exploring all the reasons we travel. I'm Geraldine Gerba. I'm Pavia Rosati. And together we're the founders of travel website FABBA. And we've already heard so many great stories. Such as an actress in rural Kenya explaining the ins and outs of safe sex. A graffiti artist tagging the islands of Southeast Asia. A producer arranging high fashion photo shoots in the desert. Listen to A Way to Go on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.